This is a National Arts Center podcast. Welcome to NEC Dance with Kathy Levy. In this podcast, Kathy chats with the artistic director of Boston Ballet, Miko Nissanen, during his company's November 2019 return engagement at Canada's National Arts Center. Hi, Miko. Hello, Kathy. <laughs> Welcome to our beautiful little studio here. It's great Pretty to be cool, here. Right? Yeah, it's wonderful to have you back in Ottawa. I'm talking, of course, with the artistic director of Boston Ballet, Miko Nissanen, who has done amazing, amazing work with the company. And we're so happy to have you back. I, I was reminded that it's been way too long. Ten years or something since you That's were last right, here, right? But it feels great to be back. Yeah, and when you were here last time, you did a very beautiful um, program, uh, a mixed repertoire with Balanchine, Yorma Ilo, Sabrina Matthews, Vaslav Dijinsky, Michelle Fokin. We were celebrating different ballet russe uh, heritage. And this year, you're here also with a triple bill that celebrates a number of different heritages, if you will. Talk to us a little bit about this program that you've chosen for Ottawa. You know, it's interesting when I look at it because, of course, there's two pieces that have very easy, brilliant music. And then uh, that's naturally the Jerome Robbins' Fancy Free to the, the music, music of, of Bernstein mm-hmm. and then uh, Rhapsody in Blue to Gershwin. I mean, two fantastic scores. And in a way, you could say artistically, you know, today we know them so well, pretty easy scores. Fancy Free is a brilliant Masterpiece by Robbins, his very first uh, uh, ballet, uh, really a time capsule I- I- in one sense. And then while Rhapsody in Blue music is also from the past, uh, but perhaps the greatest piece of American music written in a hundred years, uh, uh, then a very uh, today's take, emotional, personal story of a very young, talented choreographer. And then, of course, William Forsythe's Blake works. And I see the parallels also between Blake works and Ella. They represent more sort of modern take on the productions, while from the musical perspective, two out of the three is very traditional. So uh, Ella, of course, being the Rhapsody in Blue, choreographed by Paolo Ahias. I knew you'd pronounce it better than me. <laughs> Who's an up-and-coming choreographer and wonderful dancer with the company. That's correct. So it's an incredible opportunity that you've given people within the company as well. Well, you know, when you run the company, you, you curate so much of the work, but you also have to bring new people into the industry. And uh, it's uh, whenever you find somebody who's interested in art form of choreography, you want to give them little opportunities, and I don't mean with the company. You know, some choreographers have started at the Christmas party choreography, right. then a little studio showing, and then 
at one point they are ready for main stage and mm. this was Paul's first thing for the main stage and I promise there's more to come. Oh, it's it's a wonderful piece. I was very, very impressed being able to see it and I think he's got a lot of talent. I want to, of course, talk a lot more about Boston Ballet, but I also want to talk more about you. You grew up in Finland. What's the name of the town you grew up in? Helsinki. It is in Helsinki. Yes. That's what I thought, the main yep. town of Helsinki. What kind of kid were you? Were you into dance when you were young? You know, I know. I was, I mean... I was into everything. I was a hyperactive par <laughs> nun. I did every sport every day until it was dark and there was nobody to play with. Really? I tired all the neighborhood kids and adults. <laughs> and then after that, I would ask my parents to clock when I run around the block. And the block was about five minutes. And the rest of the evening, I tried beating my own time. Oh, my gosh. So that tells you a little bit. So when I stumbled into the ballet through interest in girls... That's uh, ironic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I uh, I found a deep well where I could dump all my energy and perfectionism and sometimes even the you know the sorrows of life and it was fascinating and very quickly I got to be an extra in a big productions at the Finnish National Ballet and Opera. How old and were you when you took your first ballet class? I was 10, 10, 10. and a half. Okay. And then within six months, got into National Ballet School and then got into these productions. And you know what? The the world of theater was so much more fun than reality. <laughs> and more fun than sports. More fun than hockey? It, it chose me, you <laughs> yeah. know. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a very interesting phrase. It chose you. Because yeah. I do find that that is true, that the greatest artists in our field, because it's not, it's not an easy field, dance. It's mm. not a... You know, it's like an athlete, constant work and constant struggle to hopefully have some success, not necessarily with the financial remuneration of hockey players. But it does it does choose you, doesn't it? It's like you can't do anything but, I guess. Yeah, it sort of, it became very clear that that's what I wanted to do. And then exclamation point was uh, summer of 1977. I was in Denmark and I watched uh, performances of American Ballet Theatre. I saw Eric Brun's final performance, but it was Mikhail Brishnikov. Wow. <laughs> uh, who did Don Q and Push Comes to Shove, that was a brand new work. And I said, all right, that's what I want, what I want to do for profession. And I thought maybe in, in two, three years, I will become a professional dancer. Within a month, I was offered a contract with the Finnish National Ballet, and I was 15 years old. Fantastic. And I did it, took it, and did my high school on um, correspondence for a year, one more year. And that's it. And you were was there? Were you in a ballet school with the Finnish National Ballet? Did you have to leave home and and? Well, no, I lived in Finland, right? Uh, uh, Helsinki, and I lived at home, right? Like, and the ballet company's in Helsinki, no? Yeah, yeah, er so, everything yeah. is there, right? So it's and not like you school, have to leave home to go and live in. A and we didn't have a, the school didn't have dormitories, right? Okay, school was functional for three and a half hours a day between okay. the company hours and the company studios. Wow, wow, not like today's setups, you know. Well, not I, I imagine that there's some of that still going on, but uh, but we do think about going away to the ballet school, you know, is leaving mm -hmm. home, and so that's that's a different kind of balance, but still yeah. takes an incredible amount of dedication. Yeah, no, absolutely, and um, it just seemed natural, and I, I truly enjoyed the challenge. What were your roles there when you first were starting, like 15, 16? Were you court of ballet and nutcracker? You, you and, know and what? I um, I did a one role in, in a corps. It was a ballet called Till Oil and Spiegel, and then I think I got to do the Paritra in Cinderella, and then I was did always roles. Amazing. 
I did the little slave in a Spartacus and then Paretroy and Swan Lake and Pesampai and Giselle and it's just I had a I had a sort of a, a strong technique and, and stronger than the other dancers in the company and I was just this puppy, you know. The next youngest dancer was five years older. That's amazing. That's funny. That's so that and all that energy that you described earlier when you were a kid is funneled into this incredible thing. So you must have been a very natural performer too. Oh, I, I was... It's one thing to have the technique. It's another thing to get up there on the stage you know, in front of a bunch of people. <laughs> Kathy, it was so funny because before the shows, I was like, why are they nervous? I couldn't wait for the curtain to go up. Right. It, you needed to be a 20 years old when then you started to think you're the worst dancer in the world and everything you do is wrong. <laughs> but early on, it was just about joy of dance. I can't wait to go there and do my stuff. Hmm, that's amazing. And... So you, you were with Finnish for a long time and then other opportunities came about for you. Well, I was there two years and I already went every summer, you know, to London and summer schools around Europe from Paris and Cannes and bought all the ballet books I could. And I always thought there was everybody that I admired those days was came from St. Petersburg, Balanchine, Nizhinsky, Brushnikov, Norev. So I thought, well, I asked a year of leave of absence went back into the school and then officially graduated in a year. I went 79-80 to Kiro Ballet Academy in St. Petersburg. Had a fabulous year and went back to Finland for one more year, year in the military service and then to the other side, to the world. And that, the next step was Dutch National Dutch Ballet, is National that right? Dutch National Ballet in Amsterdam. I'm just curious about all these transitions because, I mean, I haven't lived in Finland, but I've seen the company and been in Helsinki a little bit and I'm same with St. Petersburg. I mean, these these institutions are the same and different. So you're very young and you ha- at that time, and you have to adjust to the living situation and being a dancer. That must have been also a, a big pressure on your personality in some ways. I was always like a fish in the water. Hmm. Going to it's, Russia, it didn't face me. It was just different, uh, and it was all, always about work. Everything was just about the studio, learning the most possible, reinventing yourself again, and not being afraid, you know, just going and doing, and if somebody else was able to do it, why, why, why not me? That's an amazing energy, Miko, really. I mean, given the politics of dance companies and the pressure and the competition, yeah. somehow you stayed, sounds like you stayed a little bit above that. Yeah, it was all about art form for me, and I wanted to go where I could learn the most. Mm-hmm. And I made a couple moves just based on that. And, and you know, to this day, uh, it's part of my DNA. If I would know how to turn myself off, the switch off, I would. <laughs> I still haven't found it. <laughs> Do you have a particular memory from that time of a choreographer that you worked with or a director or a partner that you worked with that really, you know, was emblematic for you? You know, I mean, I... I was the luckiest kid in the world when I joined Dutch National. Mm. I mean, I was working with Caroline Eura, was my partner for many, many things, and I, they gave me everything. I got to do Prodigal Son, Principal and Symphony in C, Melancholic and Four Temperaments, Prodigal Son. I was 20, and Clint Farha was the main dancer in the company, got injured, and we were going to New York. I got to do the opening night with the Maria Arati, the ballerina. I mean, you can't ask more, you know. So I, I was very, very lucky in that sense. And 
but then at at one point i just felt you know this was a huge company 100 dancers and you know the director of Rudy Van Dancing i didn't dance one of his ballets <laughs> and i was like you know what if i'm here and i obviously value what i do i did all the classics all balancing every tour and strike ballet and i thought it's not right and i actually wanted more discipline i was afraid that I, in the long run i would not develop to my best possible dancer but i have to say artistically it was incredible setup mm-hmm. so that quest took you where uh switzerland basel, basel. ballet ah. amazingly the most american ballet company in europe oh i didn't know that by discipline okay and i don't know really why i mean we worked so hard and heinz we would run full out every day of the show the show and i don't know why I, i to this day somebody told me that heinz sometimes as a dancer had a hard time remembering the steps so i thought maybe he just doesn't trust that we know the steps he needs to see it in afternoon <laughs> <laughs> that's total utopia i i don't i don't have any answer but he had collected incredible individual dancers so company was super strong we had great tours uh, incredible uh, process and discipline which i felt very good existing with it's it. interesting that you say the american way of working like that was something different than what you had experienced in finland and in, yeah, in the, the netherlands this this intensity this model because i mean yeah. especially given where you've ended up because you went from there to san francisco yeah yeah did you think at the time i want to be a choreographer or i want to be the best principal dancer or maybe i want to be an artistic director these are very different professions yeah yeah i mean i knew since i was somewhere 17 18 that I wanted to be artistic director. Really? Yeah. Wanted to be the chief. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of I looked at always my directors and I asked myself, well, shouldn't it be more? Shouldn't it be more like this? And you know, I was a, I was a very good boy. I kept my mouth shut, my nose nose down. I worked like a slave for for 19 years that I, I danced professionally. Tried to learn the most until I get to call the shots. And I never think about or feel any power. I only think about responsibility. That's very well my, said. Toward my dancers and the art form. So, how did that come about for you? There you've got this you've got this thing that you really are aspiring to. You're watching mm-hmm. and doing your years as a dancer, but you know you've got your eye on that prize. Mhm. Because I was reading dance literature non-stop. Critics, reviews, Everything. or biographies everything biographies mm-hmm. i spent six years reading nothing but ballet russo nijinsky uh-huh. everything possible yeah. and in, in in the meanwhile every biography of the major choreographers from modern dance to classical to every book about rudy and misha of course and and studied the pictures you know and i mean i was just immersed in that world. Were a lot of those companies the big American companies or the big European companies touring through Basel or before that? I traveled. Uh-huh. I spent I saved all my money always and spent it on summer studies in a place where I could take class mm-hmm. and watch dance. You you're defining a hunger that I don't know that a lot of dancers find the time to exercise. I mean, it's obviously an incredible characteristic that's driven you to this place. Well, they obviously have so many choices. I didn't. I had I I had all the eggs in one basket and there was no way I was going to give up because I didn't have plan B. 
That's an interesting piece. So you make the jump over the ocean. How do you end up in San Francisco? Well, um, at that point, I was 24 years old and um, been nine years in a profession. And of course, I'd fallen in love with American dance early on in my when I came my first trips to New York. And I said to myself, it's not enough for me to be the understand American dance intellectually. I need to experience it. I said, I danced now most likely half of my professional career in Europe and I want to go to America. And I was very lucky that I landed in San Francisco Ballet on Helgi's third year. This is Helgi Thomason. That's correct. Yes. And, um, and You're still there now? That's right. <laughs> it's amazing. Now we're peers. Yes, that's great. And, and you know, I've, I really found my home. Uh, I love the process of the company and it sort of clicked. I was in the right place. I was given tons of opportunity. I had a colleagues of super high standard that I loved working with. Nobody was egotistic. Everybody was for the team. Everybody was for the company and that felt great. And after that, though, you we kind of kidnapped you to Canada for a little brief. I think that's interesting for people to know. <laughs> I know it was brief, but you were the director of Alberta Ballet for a couple of years. Yeah, I, I retired. You know, I had a really worn out hip and uh, lower back injury, and I knew the quality was going to go down the drain. There was no rescuing it, so I threw the towel in. While you were at San Francisco? Yeah. yeah. And um, I ran the Marine Ballet for a year and a half, which is a big school in San Rafael then did another six months in the San Francisco Ballet School as a teacher. I taught also last couple of years while I was dancing in the school. And I told them I give them my best, but I will take the first professional company that I feel is the right fit. And it was Alberta Ballet in Calgary, uh, Alberta Ballet in Calgary, Canada. That must have been a shock coming from San Francisco and Murray County to Calgary, Alberta. I was a little afraid. I felt like you'd gone back to Finland or something. I, I didn't know Calgary. I mean, I was afraid before when I was just looking at the map and I was looking what's further north than that. <laughs> and I didn't know the area. At the end, I actually was very surprised and very, very happy. I, I enjoyed the place and I enjoyed the vicinity of the Rockies and getting to know the Canadian dance and, you know, and um, definitely felt that nobody takes. Alberta Ballet seriously and so I had my work cut out. You definitely did. <laughs> but it's interesting too because you're reminding me that you've got this European sensibility but even Finland is very different than Holland and then you've got this American sensibility both through mm. what you were studying and your experience in California and then you've got a Canadian sensibility. I'm curious are the dancers different? Are you looking for different kinds of things or is it really as international an art form or was it then as it is now? Uh, I have always looked at the people who are the best dancers who have the right motivation that can be the tools for the choreographers and and finding the relativity of the company to its community and then how we can move the art form forward. But what does that mean, the best dancers? Is it about technique? Is it about it's drama? It's a combination. You know what? Some people ask, what is the, the, the most important thing? Mm -hmm. you got to be interesting. Yes, you got to have a technique. And you gotta have musicality, and you have to have soul, and be able to be so strong that you can be vulnerable. And one of the first things was, when I was a director of the Alberta Ballet, I took a plane with my board chair to Ottawa. I told her that we're gonna go talk to the powers to be in a Canada Council, mm -hmm. and uh, that trip yielded Alberta Ballet a six hundred 
percent increase in government funding. <laughs> While it sounds so good, I think the true story is it just tells you how little the government funding was prior to that trip. Uh-huh. Yeah. But um, but no, it was it was. But there you came here. You were face to face with the, the I powers told, that be, as you say, at the I Canada Council. I told them what I thought about the company, and I showed them my plan. And they supported it. They did. That's fantastic. That's still a very important company today. I think it's standing in, in a good good uh, foothold, foot a, a base, and jean Carl Metro has been able to maintain the the scale of the company, the budgets uh, uh, growing slowly, which is exactly the right sustainable growth. And, you know, he's taking the company to his direction, and the community has a solid company, and now it performs across Canada on a regular basis. That's so. true. That's true. But it is it is interesting when you talk about the way people are supported. I mean, again, very soon after you got this fantastic call to come back to the American system, which is funded and supported in a very different way, that must have been an exciting opportunity to come back to, to the States and go to Boston. I mean, what a huge company that has been yeah you know i knew boston was one of the major companies and my god did they have had their issues prior and they didn't tour on purpose and that was actually a great thing for me what do you mean by that on purpose uh rudolf nureb was associated with a company as a guest artist and uh of course everything was geared their tours to europe were geared around rudolf and home seasons and one day they canceled the home season to have something abroad and Rudolph gets hurt uh-huh. and the, the chairman and, and uh, the board decided that this touring thing is not good and they said we don't tour they did a couple little tours but they, they didn't want to tour anymore and then when I came they, there I said in my long term plan it was important for the you know local community through external validation to have international presence and get that validation and that's what you've been able to do, I guess, with Boston Valley. Mm-hmm. So you, you walk in there and it's got a big challenge ahead, but you convince them that your vision is the right vision. What did you say then and how would you look back on that now? Because you've been there now, what, 19, is it 19 years you've been there? I've been 18, 18 starting years. my 19th. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah. Well, I just, we're neck and neck with our with our uh, tenures. <laughs> good, I like that. It's good, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, they brought me to... Um, Boston to do a change. They felt what they had, what they had been doing, they ran that to the end and they wanted something different. And interestingly, like so many ballet companies, and uh, they wanted to hire a director and the director tell where to take the company, which I feel is, how do you say politely, ass backwards? Yeah, that's a pretty good way of saying it. Yeah, yeah, you want to bring a director in who has a vision and get everybody behind that person's vision. Yeah, but I also feel like the organization should know we want really to go this direction and then find the person and then let the vision redefine that vision. In okay. A way. And I, I said that the company needs to be more diverse. I, I said uh, that I felt as a dancer in San Francisco Ballet when I looked at Boston from a distance I never understood why in America there's a Russian island where it was Russian repertoire, Russian costumes, Russian value system, Russian... There's nothing wrong with that, but as any responsible parent, your children need a variety in the diet. And I wanted to give them a variety in the diet of classical ballet. I wanted to say that one of the 
George Balanchine uh, helped Boston Ballet to become a professional company through suggesting them for the Ford Foundation to get the grant so they became a professional company. I believe that George Balanchine had done more than four good ballets. So I was interested in curating his repertoire to the sort of more uh, not obvious ballets. Mm -hmm. So expanding how they looked at neoclassical ballet because I knew that was also incredible training tool for the dancers, for the other stuff. And then, you know, times are moving and I feel like today's ballet companies, you know, contemporary dance is part of it. And I wanted to expand that. They had no experience of uh, a structural, a structured improvising, improvising and I wanted to bring Kill, uh, uh, Bill Forsythe's work into it, and then some other choreographers used that. So that was the breath that I wanted to start to cultivate. You came in, in at a time also when, um, I mean, I think if I remember correctly, it had started a little bit, big ballet institutions giving new commissions to what they would call contemporary ballet choreographers. But you really um, were very instrumental in making Boston a leader in this area. I mean, Yorma Elo and, as you mentioned, William Forsyth. I mean, this is something that uh, companies are still catching up with, I think, today. It's not every company that takes that risk or that, well, that invests on that on that level. Never underestimate your audiences. You Good point. Do, you don't educate your audiences. Your job is to expose them to things. Agreed. So, uh, I I just wanted to... I knew the chandras where I, we wanted to excel. I wanted to dance contemporary dance like a contemporary company, not like a ballet company trying to do contemporary dance mm -hmm. because I knew I wanted works of Killian. I wanted to, to get to the point where we are not dancing Forsyth ballet, but we get to master it. And I knew Yorma was a new voice, but I also knew he was going to cook a generation toward the Killian direction. Mm -hmm. And it totally worked. Mm -hmm. By the time I was able to afford Killian ballets, we could actually really dance them. Great thanks to Yorma through his work and his process that we were able to get there. And then that's that's a good a, a good barometer when you bring the company up to a place where the masters that you want to bring in or the new people that you want to develop actually are the right fit for those dancers. And it's incredible when you see your company how well they dance. Bill Forsyth. I mean, that is not easy. And I think it's very important to note that a lot of people have Bill Forsyth's work in their repertoire, but you've forged this incredible new relationship with Bill. You sort of took him out of retirement, it feels. Tell us about that. Well, he was... It was a very interesting juncture because he's closed, he closed his company in Europe. We'd done incredible work and was going to come back to America and... Uh, he had worked with us a couple of times and he just kept saying how much he enjoyed working with the dancers because they were musically so astute. There was no egos. They were technically capable. And um, then one night over dinner, I just said, well, what would you consider? I'll give you a, a whole evening every single year for the next five years. And the dialogue started from there and we formed this, this five-year partnership. And a couple of years into it, Bill said, partnership? This is my home for good. Wow. And, you know, that's uh, something... You can't ask an artist like Bill something. You have to create a place f for something like that to take place. And it's... Uh, my job is to enable this amazing artist to do what he wants. 
and he is using our company and our dancers as his tools. It's phenomenal, and making new work as well as bringing existing work. Does he have um, a perception of the work that you're doing in the community and the school that you're running? And I mean, this is also incredible what you've done yeah. in Boston, Miko. Absolutely, he, he understands the big picture. But my big thing in the Boston was to understand to get the Boston to understand who is William Forsythe. I because, think that's a big, big challenge still for some people. Uh, I have to say kudos to the Institute of Contemporary Arts, uh, Jill Medvedow. I called her and said, this is what we're doing with Bill Forsyth. And, you know, like, do you know that he's a major modern artist on his right? At that time, he had two shows on in Paris. Mm -hmm. And out of that came ICA did their best-selling show ever, William Forsyth Choreographic Objects. They had hourly tickets. They had other issues because they had too many people. But it was a massive hit. It's and uh, it's, it was one of the attempts. How do we get the community to understand? And, and it, it, it's in a very different level, uh, but we're not stopping there. Tell us a little bit more about the school. Have you, what have you done to kind of bring that whole institution alongside your vision for the bigger company? Well, it's interesting because it's, it's a very different kind of school than any other ballet school. How so? Well, we have 5,600 students. That's amazing. <laughs> we have 90 of them on a professional track. We teach anybody who's interested learning dance. We teach them seriously. We don't try to beat them into bulb, uh, but like we will teach them so they get the most out of it for the enjoyment of the music, physical education, understanding of the art form. And Spiritual happiness. Everything, yeah. I mean, live music. Every class has live music. We have outreach programs. Are the, they're the best in the industry, and they're the best in the city of Boston in any genre. So I'm very proud of those. But we just announced, I think, two weeks ago, our professional uh, um, division of the school will physically locate into Walnut Hill. We will have dormitories, academic education, food. Uh, our people will be teaching there and will op uh, start next fall. So uh, one-stop shopping. You That's amazing. have a quality high school education, supervised dormitories in this amazing campus. And I'm, I'm grateful with the, with the partnership with Walnut Hill because for Boston Ballet to invest in those things to the extent that we are now able to do. Who knows if in 20 years we would have had the ability. We would have slowly tried to get there, but now we got to jumpstart a whole it, new thing. Taken up. And, and I, I heard that there's probably about 30% of the professional company that has come through this school. Right now we have 35% of the company has come through right. the second company and uh, Annually, our second company, I think on average, is 40% comes from the school. That's brilliant. Yeah. With such a big season that you do in Boston, I mean, we're so, we understand the challenges of bringing companies up to Ottawa. How important is touring to the company? What does that contribute to the overall intent? It, it um, makes dancers global citizens and it shows them the world. It lets them get deeper into the works that they do, more repetition on, on these works. And uh, it's wonderful to dance in front of a different audience, you know? It, there's a, lots of value and it's, uh, uh, everybody enjoys it. 
first of all. I would have never danced with a company that did not tour, period. And and um, it's just great to see we have so many different nationalities. This year we have the least nationalities we've ever had, 18. Usually we have 22, 23 nationalities. So, so something to work. Are there any Canadians in the company? Uh, right now, not. We, we can work we, on that. We, we've had plenty, <laughs> we have over the years plenty of Canadians, yeah. You know, Canadians are, un, are, are a little bit similar to Finns because wherever we travel, I, I, dancers tell me this, I feel this when I travel, we somehow find each other. Now, here you are in Boston, a Finn, working with Yorma Elo, also a Finn, mm-hmm. but you also have another sort of special connection with a few important Finns who are in Boston, one of whom I understand is a very important goalie for that team, the Boston Bruins. Oh, yes, Dukaras. Yeah. Do you find each other? Is that what happens? You sort of have antennae? You know? uh, a little bit. <laughs> you know, of course, um, first uh, I was just following him through TV and some games and then I got to know him and uh, I mean of course he's a legend he's, a he's complete legend incredible being a Montrealer we, we appreciate him even more <laughs> <laughs> yeah and what a nice guy tall handsome uh, him and his wife they come here and they're to the ballet they do come to the ballet I was going to yeah, ask absolutely. that yeah. do they like it I mean is it something that they kind of appreciate being yeah, hockey you know, people it's interesting so far It's it's been more the small lakes and nutcrackers and uh yeah. I want to get them in front of some Forsyth and Killian. Absolutely. I think that's one of the, just to, to wrap up again, I think there's something so amazing about Boston Ballet because you're equally gorgeous doing your Swan Lakes and your Sleeping Beauties. You are doing some of those productions yourself. And then you've got this incredible way to attract some of the greatest choreographers. I mean, it's a winning formula. I'm curious, what's the hardest thing that you have to do? Uh Time commitment. How, how do you split the, the, the 24 hours? Uh, what is administration? What is the development duties? What is the the time in the studio? And how, how do you replenish your own self so that you're, you're a living artist who understands where the world is today? Because my job is to be the antenna and say, this is where where world is going and we need to do our aesthetic has to change, you know, the way we design the productions. And so the balance of doing all my responsibilities that I don't call them really responsibilities, but what's expected of me, uh, I would do all that and more anyway, but how to really sometimes carve the time for yourself so you can invest in yourself so you're a better artist at the end of the day. Well, you're an impressive man, a fantastic artist, and I'm so thrilled that we have this connection and that we've been able to bring Boston Ballet, and I look forward to the next time. Hopefully it won't be another 10 years before the company's back in Ottawa. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank Thank you for your time. Thank you, Kathy. Thanks. That's all for this NEC Dance Podcast. Send us your comments and questions by email at necpodcasts at gmail.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to NEC Podcasts at necpodcasts.ca. You can also find us as a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Until next time, goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre.
This has been a National Arts Centre podcast produced in Ottawa by NAC New Media. Send us your comments and questions. Email us at nacpodcasts at gmail.com. Visit the podcast section of the iTunes store where you can rate and comment on this podcast. We love to hear from you. Remember, you can find more great NEC podcasts at necpodcast.ca or search on National Arts Centre on iTunes and subscribe for free. Until next time, goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre.